opportunity to go and speak to the uh, New York Jet football team. And um, if I'm not totally up on it this morning, if I seem a little down or dragging a little bit, it's uh, probably because I have jet lag. <laughs> hey, hey, it's free. What do you want? I mean, yeah, that's true, huh? Good morning and uh, welcome to Let's Pretend. Uh, Let's pretend it's an uh, exciting new game show where anything is possible. And uh, without further delay, Jay, who's our first contestant? Well, Chuck, our first contestant is a homemaker, mother of one, making her home in Orange, California. Let's welcome Tamara Cook. Tamara Cook. We found Tamara in our contestant search. It took place yesterday by random, desperate phone calling. And uh, Tamara, it's uh, good to have you here. You don't know how good it is to have you here, actually. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I think you have to speak into uh, the tie. <laughs> or we could do this. That'd probably be a little more, okay, a little more suitable for this group. Let's uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. That was good, now that we get that out of the way. Uh, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, Tamara, what do you do? Gosh, I do so many things. Um, I think I'm, I'm really a mother of one. I think you hit that. You know, that was, I'm a homemaker, too. Is there any too. question about that? Uh, yeah, no, not oh, at this good, point. Good, good, no, good. no, no, no. Um, I collect bugs, and um, I really enjoy bodybuilding, too. And, um, gosh, what was the other thing that I was going to do? Oh, I collect um, refrigerator magnets. Oh, refrigerator <laughs> yeah, magnets, of course. Collection. That is uh, quite the hobby, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> well, that's uh, good. Well, that uh, gives us a little bit about you. Uh, how about, what does your husband do? <laughs> he works for... Um, a major grocery store change here. Chain. Did I say change? Change. Well, he probably. Well, he changes around. Um, <laughs> um, in LA. A major grocery store concern. We can't give the name, of course, because it'd be unfair to the rest of you who may compete with them. So we'll just go with a major. Um, are you ready to play our game? Oh, that's great. Anyway, here's the rules for the game. Are you ready for the game, ladies and gentlemen? Here's how this game is going to be played. Starting tomorrow morning, we will deposit into your checking account 86,400 pennies. We're going to put those into your account each day. That's $864 a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. There's only one stipulation. And that is, you must spend all that money the same day, and there will be no balance will be carried forward to the next day. The bank has been instructed that it will have to zero out your account at the end of each day. So each evening, the bank will cancel out anything that's left over, as if that may be possible. And um, I forgot to mention I'm a professional shopper. Oh, well, then good. Then we picked the right person for this game. Also, as an incentive, so that you don't buy things that depreciate in value, such things as food, clothing, things that Nordstrom sells, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> If, as, uh, if you don't buy anything there, at, uh, at, some point, um, at some point in the future, what we're going to do is we're going to take all of the appreciation that you have on the assets that you've purchased. At some point, and we'll determine when that is. We're going to take all the assets that appreciate, and we will, you'll be eligible for the grand prize. And the grand prize will be, we'll either double it or up to 100 times we'll multiply that amount. So you must be wise in where you invest it. Are you ready to play the game? Well, then let's go out there and let's spend some money. Thank you very much. You know, when you start these new game shows, it really takes a fan acceptance. Okay, can we hear a little louder, please? I mean, if nothing else, at least applause for the applause sign. Um, so do you all understand what the rules were? What were the rules? Spend the money. OK, 
Okay, do you understand it? Every day she's going to have 86,400 pennies deposited into her bank account, and the only stipulation is that she spends everything that she has that particular day because none of the funds will be carried over to the next day. Do you got it? Easy to understand. Okay, that's let's pretend. Now let's play, let's get serious. Every morning, someone will deposit into your account, someone who cares much about you, somebody who loves you tremendously, they will deposit, he will deposit into your account 86,400 seconds of time. Those 86,400 seconds represent 1,440 minutes, which of course represents 24 hours in any given day. See, we've got to be wise with how we invest it because at the end of each day, that time is canceled out and it doesn't carry over to the next day. So it becomes critical as to what we do with that period of time that God gives us. So as you consider that, and you consider the promises that God made as far as how we invest our time, how we invest the resources that he gives us, because wasn't it Jesus who said in the parables of the talents that, well done, good and faithful servant, you've got five and now I'll give you five more. You have ten and now I'll give you ten more. He doubled it. And he said to Peter, when Peter said, Lord, didn't we leave everything behind? I mean, we left everything to follow you. Remember what he told him? He said, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter what you gave up. Anything that you gave up, I will increase 100 times in my kingdom. It'd be a great game show, wouldn't it? Could you imagine how exciting it would be to have somebody put 86,400 pennies in your account every day? $864 a day comes out to $315,000 a year. To spend, to choose to spend it any way you'd like to do it. With the only stipulation is that you can only spend it and you can only spend it one time. And that will be evaluated on where it goes. See, isn't time a lot like a coin? If you took a coin, you have a lot of options where it can be spent, but you can only spend it one time. And the same is true for what God says for each one of us. You only have the amount of time that He gives you, and you can only spend it one way. The question that I have as we consider all this is how wise are we investing the time in which God has given us? What is He going to say when it's time to evaluate our performance? When we're eligible for the grand prize, what are you going to be eligible for? <coughs> So as we consider all of these things, you know, the question that I have for you is, what's your favorite expression of time? It's amazing to me. I want to just run through some of it and tell me if this is the one that hits you closest to home. What time's the meeting start? You know what? Not right now. I don't have time. What time would you like to meet? I'm kind of busy uh, Monday through Thursday and maybe Friday, but if not Friday, maybe I can meet with you next week. Uh, what time would you like to meet? You know what, don't waste your time on that. It's not worth it. Hey, it's time to go. Oh, look, it's time to go. Everything that we do is evaluated by time. Ten, oh, start at 10 o'clock. You better have me out of here by quarter to 11. I want to be at 11 o'clock service. Everything's based on time. In fact, I hope that Pastor David doesn't go too long because I'm going to Rams game today, and that starts at what time? It starts at 1 o'clock. So we got a lot of things going on, and everything is evaluated by how we look at time. Time out. You ever did that? Around the house, things are going crazy. You're just going crazy. The kids are running around. You feel like you're just coming unglued and you just want to yell, time out. <laughs> time out. Let's just stop everything right now. Okay, now we got everything. Time in. Let's go again. So the way it works. It's time we had a long talk. How many of you ever said that? What time's supper? What time's lunch? My, my kids love this one. Take out a clean sheet of paper. It's time for a quiz. <laughs> Oh, that time. I don't know. You go through it and you've got to ask yourself a question. What's your favorite time expression? Because that is what indicates closest to home as to what you think about time. 
I like a song that was written several years ago. It was written by a group named Chicago. They call themselves Chicago. And the song that they sung and they wrote was, does anybody really know what time it is? In fact, the lyrics go on to say, hey, does anybody really care? And they were writing about the indifference and the apathy and the insensitivity of people in our day and age. Does anybody really know what time it is? And does anybody really care? Interesting. I pulled out a, an article that was in a file that I had stuck away because I thought it was fascinating and I didn't know when I'd ever get a chance to use it and I'm glad that this is the opportunity. But uh, the article was, was uh, in a, a magazine appropriately enough called Time Magazine and um, the article uh, was April, 29, April 24th, 1989 and here was the title of the article, How America Has Run Out of Time. Workers are weary, the subtitle was, workers are weary, parents are frantic, and even children having a moment to spare. Leisure could be to the 90s what money was to the 80s. And they introduced the article with a quote from Queen Elizabeth I with her dying breath. She said, all of my possessions for a moment of time. It says, if you have a moment to read this story with your feet up, free of interruptions, at leisure, put it down. It's not for you. Congratulations. But if, like almost everyone else, you're trying to do something else at the same time, if you're stuck in traffic, waiting in the airport lounge, watching the news, if you're stirring the soup, shining your shoes, trying to kill 45 minutes at church, um, drying your hair, I just threw that one in there to see if you're paying attention. Ooh, that one hit me. Um, it says, or what you can do is hire somebody to read it for you and then give you a report. She goes on to say, there was once a time when, when time was money. Both could be wasted or both well spent, but in the end, gold was the richer prize. As with almost any commodity, however, value depends on scarcity. And these are the days of the time famine. Time that once seemed free and elastic has grown tight and elusive, and so our measure of its worth is dramatically changed. In Florida, a man bills his ophthalmologist $90 for keeping him waiting an hour. In California, a woman hires somebody to do her shopping for her out of a catalog. 20 bucks pay someone to pick up the dry cleaning, 250 to cater a dinner for four, $1,500 will buy you a fax machine for your car. Time concludes pollster Lewis Harris, who has charted America's loss of it, quote, may have become the most precious commodity in our land. This sense of appreciation is not as vague and spotted impression. According to a Harris survey, the amount of leisure time enjoyed by the average American has shrunk 37% since 1973. Over the same period of time, the average work week, including commuting, has jumped from 41 out from under 41 hours to nearly 47. In some professions, predictably, law, finance, and medicine, the demands often stretch to 80 hours a week. Vacations have shortened to the point where they are frequently no more than long weekends, and the Sabbath is, for what else? Shopping. If all this continues, time could end up being to the 90s what money was to the 80s. In fact, for the callow yuppies of Wall Street, with their abundant salaries and meager freedom, leisure time is the one thing they find hard to buy. Their lives are so busy that merely to give someone the time of day seems like an act of charity. They order gourmet takeout because microwave dinners have become just too much trouble. Canary sales are up. They're low-maintenance pets. And Beaujolais Nouveau is becoming a thing of the future, which is a wine that you don't need to wait for. I gave up pressure for Lent, says a theater director in Manhattan. He says, if only it were that easy. More seriously, the shortcut society is changing the way the family functions. Nowhere is the course of the rat race more arduous, for example, than around the kitchen table. Harmark, that unerring almanac 
of, of American Mores now markets greeting cards for parents to tuck under the Cheerios in the morning. Have a super day at school, chirps one card, or under the pillow at night. I wish I were there to tuck you in. Even parents who love their jobs, love their kids, find that the pressure to do justice to both almost becomes unbearable. As a society warns Yale University psychology professor Edward Ziegler, we're at the breaking point as far as the family is concerned. This is just a small excerpt. The article goes on for five more pages trying to figure out what happened to time. And the interesting thing is that time really hasn't changed, has it? Still got the same amount of minutes in every day and the same amount of hours in every day and the same amount of days in every week. Time hasn't changed. There's a problem in our society, and the problem is that we have changed in relationship to time. So we need to take a look at this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to it, because it deals with the whole subject of time, and everybody's talking about it. We all use it as a gauge for the activities of our life, and Solomon's got some insight as to what time is all about. I like the title of that song, Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is? And Does Anybody Really Care? See, the problem is, are we all subject to time, or are we all victims of it? See, these are some of the questions that Solomon addresses in this particular chapter. Are we subject to time? Is time subject to us? Are we the master of our destiny, or are we the victims of time? And how you look at that will give you a tremendous insight as to what life is all about. Do you believe you're the master of time? Do you believe you control time? It's going to affect the way that you see your life. If you believe you're the victim of time, if you believe that you don't master time at all, and that that's nothing you have any control over, it's going to change the way you look at things. So Solomon takes this whole subject of time and he deals with it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we'll pick it up at verse 1. He says, there is an appointed, there's an appointed time for everything. And there's a time for every event under heaven. There's a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up is lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God give, has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He also has set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, that it is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take away from it. For God has, worked, has so worked that men should fear him. That which is, has been already and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. It's an exciting passage and it doesn't make a lot of sense at face value when you just read through it. In fact, it almost could be real confusing. But the reality of it is as you go through it, notice how many times God is referenced in this particular passage. In 15 verses, God is mentioned nine times. 
Nine times in this short passage, the name God comes up. There's something to it. See, God is not a victim of time. God is in control of time. We are victims of time, whether you want to admit it or not. You and I are victims of time. We're not in control of it. As much as we do to fight it and try to change it, we try to be the master of our own ship. We try to, have, uh, to control our own destiny. But the reality of it is we're not in control. We are victims of time, but God is not. God's not controlled by time. In fact, what we're going to do as we go th see that through this, we're going to see several things about God, the truth of what God has to say as far as time is concerned. And, uh, and in fact, you know, the great conclusion from the passage is that man cannot control the events of his life. I want you to notice that. Look at, I mean, Solomon starts out, and the, and the, the section as we look at these things, so that help you understand it, is that there are seven verses, and within each of the verses, there are four, uh, four events of life. There are opposites, there are couplets, there are 14 couplets in these 28 events of life. So there are 28 events, there are 14 couplets, and each one of them are broken down into seven sections. Seven verses, four events per verse, 28 events, 14 couplets, okay? It is a poem. It's a, a common uh, poetic... Uh, it's a common poetic tactic that's used in Hebrew literature. It's uh, called merism. And what Solomon is trying to do is just make a point about the events of life. See, he could have chosen any Hebrew word for a more exact meaning, but he didn't do that. He chose the Hebrew words that, words that rhymed with one another. And the reason for that is he doesn't want us to focus on the events. See, the temptation that I have as we look at this is to sit down and look at these 28 events and try to justify or rationalize why these events are proper. That's not what he wants us to do. And if we do that, we begin to focus on ourselves again, which is a te temptation of man is always to focus on us. And what Solomon is trying to do is he's using the events of life to help us focus on God. That's why he mentions God so many times in this passage. He wants us to see where God is in relationship to time. See, these are events we can't control. A time to give birth and a time to die. Well, you can't control that. I can't control that. But you know what it says? There is an appointed time for everything. Everything that happens, there is an appointed time. A time to be born? We may try to guess to find out what time somebody is due and when they're going to give birth. And we guess and we calculate and we try to come close to it and we take polls at the office or when it's going to happen and all these things. But the reality of it is we have no control over it. But there's an appointed time for that birth. Psalm 139 says that God is in control of that. You know what he also says about your death? He says there's a time that's appointed for man to die. Once and then comes judgment. There's an appointed time. Do you realize that God has appointed a time where you will die? There's an appointment in his daytimer, in his calendar, exactly when you and I are going to die. See, we have no control over that. So what Solomon's trying to say is, hey, listen, you know what? This isn't about the events. This isn't about whether there's a time for war and there's a time for peace and there's a time for this and that. This, this isn't what it's about, folks. It's just a cross-section of life. You can stand along the side and you can observe it, and it doesn't take a genius to see the truth of this. There's a time to give birth and there's a time to die. Look at the hospital, different floors, birth, death, it's all happening all around us. Read the papers, that's the reality of life. It's an event that takes place that's outside of our control. He goes down through it, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted. There are events that take place, so we go out and we sow and then we harvest. But we have no control over whether there's going to be a harvest or not. We have no control over the weather, of whether there's going to be a time that's appropriate to sow or not. 
We've got to do the best that we can do under the conditions. So he's just making generalizations about life as a, as a whole, and he looks at the events, but he wants us to see the truth of what he's saying. He says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. I like that because I like what Charles Spurgeon had to say about it. He said he was facing a grim-faced bunch of people, kind of like the group that we've got here this morning. And um, he said, there are things in these sermons that may produce smiles, but so what of them? The preacher is not quite sure about a smile being a sin, and at any rate, he thinks it's less a crime to cause a momentary laughter than a half an hour of profound slumber. I like that, you know, there's, there's a, we can loosen up a little bit, it's okay. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is, is mentioned in this passage so that we can see the biblical truth about God and His relationship to time. And when we understand about that, then time begins to make some sense to us. See, our problem is we want to focus on us. And as long as we keep focusing on us, we're not going to get any answers that direction. But if we begin to look at what the Bible says about God, and his relationship to time, I'll tell you what, it could free you up if you stop long enough to consider what the Bible says. So that's what we're going to take a look at. Five biblical truths about God and his relationship to time. And the first one is this. We must acknowledge that God has a reason for all that happens in our life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is a reason for everything that happens in your life without any question? All of us have things that happen in our life, events that take place, that have us asking the question, why me? Why me? Why now? Why at this time? Why this? I'll bet you you had some things happen this past week that you probably said those same things. Why is this happening? Why now? Oh, we got all these plans. We've got so much to go on. We've got so many things to do. Why has this happened to us now? Why me? You know, it's so funny is that, uh, you know, Linda snuck me away for, uh, for a night, right? And uh, we went, we had, a, we had a fun night. And, um, and uh, so we got up in the morning and we went out to our car and, and we had a great time. So we get in the car and we go to drive and Linda goes, oh, look. Well, I figured it out because when I looked in the rearview mirror to look behind me, I couldn't see anything behind me because the rearview mirror wasn't there any, or the side right door mirror wasn't there anymore. And somebody had just went and torqued that thing, man, and just ripped it right off the door. But it was still there. The parts that they needed were no longer there. But the, uh, the rest of it was still there. Not a lot. In fact, if, if you need, like, some parts for a right door mirror, come and see me. But um, so, you know, the temptation is you go, you know what? Why did this happen? I mean, what's the deal? And you know what happens is you start second-guessing where you parked the car. See, my first response would have been, and it was, it, it, but I didn't, I didn't say it outwardly. But when I parked the car, I thought, well, this isn't the best place to park the car. Well, but it's in the parking lot of the hotel, so it's not like we parked it, you know, somewhere in an alley somewhere, you know. So we parked in the ho parking lot hotel. Well, but my first thought is, you know, I don't know. And I remember, I said, wow, do you think we should park it? She goes, oh, it'll be fine here. That was what Linda said, right? And... Uh, <laughs> Say, is it fine? It's in the parking lot hotel. I mean, it's in the lot of the hotel. What else? Where do you want to park? I said, okay. Well, see, my first thought when I got back in the car was to say, you know what? Didn't I tell you that we shouldn't have parked here? And, you know, and, there, and, then, woo, and then it starts from there. And, and then I thought, you know what? This is great because this is exactly what I've been studying all week. And that is that there's a reason for everything that happens. God has a reason for everything that happens, even as dumb as somebody ripping a mirror off the side of your car. There's a reason for it. So rather than get an argument about it, I said, so what do you think the reason for this is? 
well, and, and she said, well, you know, and she stopped and she thought about it. She goes, well, you know what? There's no eternal value in a mirror. I said, hey, there's no temporary value in this mirror. I mean, this mirror has no value at all. But it was a great point because it helped me to realize. And you know what? Why did it happen? I don't know. Maybe it was for an illustration. Maybe God was going to use it to teach me the truth that, guess what? Everything happens for a reason. Do you believe that? Do you believe that everything in your life happens for a reason? If you we need to acknowledge that because that's the truth. See, the problem is, as I read this, hey, God has a purpose, a reason for everything that happens in our life. I'm not sure what they are. I'm not sure what all the answers are. I don't understand it all. But I'll tell you this, it's not that hard to figure out that the Bible says that God has a reason for all of it. See, and that's what this section of Scripture is all about. That's what Solomon is trying to teach us, is that, hey, there's a point in time for everything. God is in control of everything. And so that passage basically suggests those three truths. The first thing is that it suggests the providence of God. God is in control of everything that happens in our lives. There's a reason for it. The second thing is that there's also a purpose for it. And the third is that there's the power of God that's shown all throughout this passage that help us to realize that, hey, if God is in control and he has a purpose and he's got the power to bring it to pass. Are you ready for that? Do you believe that's what the Bible teaches? I'll just pull out some examples and see if you can relate to these and see the truth of what the Bible teaches. The providence or control of God. This is what the Bible teaches. He te the Bible teaches God is in control. Psalms 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. You believe that? God can do anything he wants to do. You know, it's pretty interesting, you know, that uh, there are a lot of us who like to say, well, God isn't, he doesn't have a specific plan, a specific purpose. It's kind of a general, vague type of thing. The problem is that's not what the Bible teaches. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth and the seas and in all the depths. Psalm 135. Do you believe that? Anywhere. Any place, anytime, God's in control. Whether it's in heaven, whether it's on earth, whether it's under the earth, whether it's in the seas, the depths, it doesn't matter if you're on a mountaintop, it doesn't matter if you get away from everybody that you know and that knows you, God is still in control no matter where you go. My times are in your hands. That's what David said. My times are in your hands. The heart of the king is like channels of water in the hands of God. And he controls it any way that he wants it to go. Do you realize that? God is in control. God is in control. Augustine said this, If the providence of God does not preside over the affairs of men, there is no need to bother about religion. Hey, I'm not saying that we understand it, but we need to accept what the Bible teaches, and that's the truth, that God does whatever He wants, whenever He wants to do it. Whatever He pleases, whatever His heart, whatever his heart so desires is what He does. That's the control of God. I want to ask you a question. Would you want it any other way? Would you want to deal with a God who isn't in control of what's going on? Just a God that's kind of in general control? You know, he doesn't really have specific control over every situation in your life. He's just kind of general and vague. Let me tell you something what the Bible teaches. The Bible specifically teaches that every one of us, God is in control of every aspect of our life. From the moment that we were born to the moment that we will die. God controls our life. He's in control of every event that happens in our life. There's nothing that can happen to you that is going to be a surprise to God. I always laugh when people say, oh, the untimely death of so-and-so. 
Well, from whose perspective? You mean God's sitting up there on the throne and all of a sudden we're going to pop up before him and go, Oh, guess who's here? <laughs> well, wait a minute. Let me check here. Whoa, hey, wait a minute. Hey, Peter, what's the deal here? I, oh, Bramsky, oh, Bramsky, oh, Bramsky, I don't know. Hey, go wait in the lobby. I don't know how to handle this. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine that's the God that we're looking to, to, to be involved with? Hey, you know what? There's a tremendous amount of freedom in my life knowing that my God is in control of everything that happens in my life. There's a reason for it. So when I get in the car and somebody torques a mirror off the side of the car, I can get in the car and say, hey, Lord, I know there's a reason for it. I don't understand what it is. If nothing else, it's to help me understand there's a reason for everything, and I'm going to accept that. And I'm going to use it to glorify you. I don't know how. Maybe it's in talking with the people at the hotel. Maybe it's in talking with the guy that's going to fix it, whatever it is. And somebody says, man, can you believe somebody would do that to you? Oh, hey, you know what? I believe anything, but I'll tell you what, nothing happens to me that my guy's not in control over. So I'm not surprised by it. It doesn't catch me off guard. How about you? See, that's what the Bible teaches. Is there freedom in that or what? Isn't that the most wonderful thing to realize that everything that's going on in your life right now, God knows about and he's allowing it to happen for his, for his what? For his glory and for his purpose. Isn't that the way it goes? See, our next question is, hey, well, what is the reason for this? What's the purpose behind this? I don't understand this. What's the purpose behind it? I love it. Look at this. Look at, look at the story of Joseph in Egypt. It's the greatest story that illustrates point blank the truth that God is in control. There's nothing that's going to happen in your life that God doesn't have a purpose for it. You see what he said to his brothers? His brothers took him, sold him into slavery, threw him into a pit, took him out, sold him into slavery. He went into Egypt, and he spent a miserable time there for a while until God elevated him into the position that he had always been intending for him to be in. And his brothers came to him and said, <gasps> they were shook, man. They went, oh, man, what is he going to do to us? And you know what his response was? Hey, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And you know why he did what he did? I finally understand his purpose. The purpose of why he allowed all these things to happen in my life was in order to bring about this present result that I could preserve many lives by the wisdom that you've given me on how to conduct the affairs of the government of Egypt. He didn't understand it until then. You think when he was sitting in that pit going, hey, I don't know, what is going on here, God? Did you abandon me? Did you leave me? Did you forsake me? What's the deal here? He didn't understand it then, but he could have had trust then. And he could have been in the pit saying, Lord, I don't know where this is heading, but I'm excited and I'm ready for the trip. Is that what you do? When things are going on in your life, are you in a position to say, hey, you know what? I recognize God's in control. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where it's heading, but I'm excited and I'm glad to be part of it. And let's move on with the program. I can't wait to find out. Some of the most exciting things in my life that has happened to me are things that I can look at the purpose of God, seeing it today, looking at it in hindsight and go, man, you know what? God was in control the whole time, wasn't he? Do you believe that? Amen. I'll tell you what, if you believe it, that's something to shout about because there's nothing going on right now in your life that should have you down. You shouldn't be discouraged. You shouldn't be dragging. You shouldn't be in the pits about anything because God loves you and there's a reason why you're going through what you're going and there's a purpose for it and his purpose will be fulfilled in his time. It says, The Lord is not slow about his, his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Man, you know what? There's a purpose for everything. But it comes about in God's time, not ours. Our problem with accepting God's control of our life is we don't like his timing. And we talk a lot about time, don't we? See, we don't like God's timing. I like this. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. 
said, pain is God's megaphone. All the things that we put in category bad are the things that God uses to get our attention. Most of the things we put in category good, we have no time for God because things are going too good. So the only way God can get through to me and you is that he's going to put things in what we call category bad. The problem is, I want before the day's over here, before you leave, there is no category bad if you acknowledge there's a reason for everything that God does. Because everything is good. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote this. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truth, truthfulness that everything I learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened uh, my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. In other words, if it ever were possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence by means of some drug or other medical mumbo-jumbo, the result would not, be, would not be to make life delectable, but to make it too banal and trivial to be endurable. This, of course, is what the cross signifies, and it is the cross more than anything else that has called me inexorably to Christ. Isn't that the truth? Man, if you believe that, there's nothing going on. I don't know. You may come here bummed out, and you may be even more bummed out, um, because you don't really believe in your heart that there's a reason for what's going on in your life. And in fact, as you're confronted with this, you're not even going to like it. But the exciting thing is if you start and understand what the Bible teaches, and that is this, that there's a reason for everything that is happening in your life. It also involves the power of God. Not only does God have a purpose and is he in control, but he has the power to bring it to come about. If he's got a purpose for your life, and there are reasons that are happening in your life right now, and God's trying to bring you to a certain point, he also has the power to take you from where you're at to where you need to be. He has the power to take you from the pit in Joseph's case to put him on the throne in Egypt. He can do it. And the process that he went through was to help us to understand the truth of this. Job 42, 2. You know what Job finally came to the conclusion of? He said, I know that you can do anything you want and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Whatever God has planned for your life, whatever God has planned for our world, whatever God, God has planned for our nation, uh, for the world in which we live, is going to come to pass because God's got the power to see it through. Nothing God can do is going to come, is going to be thwarted by anything that man does. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's the truth of what the Bible teaches. Daniel 2, 21, he says, And it is he who changes the times and the epochs, he removes kings and he establishes kings. There isn't anybody in office politically that God hasn't put there, and isn't anybody there that God can't remove, because every person there is a pawn in the hand of God that's moving toward his conclusion, which is what he looks forward to. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe it'll help you understand it. It helps me to understand it. Let's assume for a moment that you walk into the middle of a room and there's some people in there and they're playing chess. And you see them make a move and they've been playing now for maybe a couple hours. And you see them make a move and you see them lose one of their pieces on, on the game. Okay, you follow me? You see, them lose a pawn, you see them lose a pawn or whatever. And you sit there and go, man, that was the dumbest move that I ever saw. And then you turn and you leave. Okay, you follow me? You're not there to see the conclusion. You're not there to see the next five moves or six moves that were set up by that move that ultimately brought victory to the person that made that move. 
Let me help you to illustrate it from God's perspective as far as time is concerned. We're at a point in time where we're looking at that chess game and we're seeing a move being made and we don't understand it so therefore it becomes stupid in our eyes and we don't buy it. The ultimate is that he's going to win the game. And the way that he does it is any way that he wishes. He can move anything he wants, anytime he wants. He can lose any piece he wants for his purposes. But the ultimate result is that he wins the game. Now, is that foolish to do it the way that he did it? We may, we may say, well, I don't know if I do it that way. I may have done something different or whatever. You know, we question God. But the reality of it is that every move that he makes, he makes for his purposes. And his ultimate purpose he can bring to pass because he has the power to ultimately win the game. Does this make any sense? Because if it does, it's going to free up. It's going to help you to see every event in your life that has taken place. God has a reason for it. He's got control over it. He has a purpose that he's leading you to. And he has the power to bring it to completion. That's what Solomon wants us to understand about this passage that deals with the events of our life. He wants us to see that you and I are victims of time. We have no control over our destiny. None at all. But God does. He wants us to acknowledge that. Because when we acknowledge that, then there's some hope for us as far as where we're heading. So he comes to the conclusion and he begins to ask a question. And the question that he asks is uh, in chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. He says, okay, if I don't have any control over anything that's going on in my life, basically that's what he's saying and that's the truth. He's saying, so I don't have any control over anything that's going on in my life. I can't control any event. I can control when I'm bored. I can't control when I'm dying. I can't control whether there's war, whether there's peace. I can't control whether I have a harvest or not. I can do all the right things. I can plan my ways. But you know what the passage says in Proverbs? Man plans his ways, but what? The Lord directs his steps. We do our part, but God can turn us the direction that he wants to bring to pass that which his purpose is and that ultimately what he's trying to get accomplished. So he asked the question, if that's true and I don't have any control over it, then what in the world am I supposed to do? What profit is there? He says, I've seen the task which God has given to the sons of men from which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. The second conclusion we've got to come up with is we must accept God's purposes and control over everything that happens. Do you see what Solomon's saying? When do things take place? In the right time. When will you die? In the time appointed for you to die. When will you give birth? In the time God's appointed for you to give birth. When will this event happen or that event happen or this take place or that or when will I get this promotion or when will we do this or when will I do that? Hey, in the appropriate time according to God, in His timing and in His plan and His purpose and His ways. Isn't it an amazing thing that all the things that have happened in your life that you set out and you planned to accomplish never happened the way you planned it? In fact, the ironic thing is as I look at my life, all the things I planned to do would have led me into a mess. And things I didn't plan to do and the things I did by being obedient and following God and doing what He wanted me to do have, have led me into situations that have been far better for me. And you look at it and go, man, you know what? I had all these plans and none of them went the way that I thought they'd go. But boy, it sure turned out better than I could have ever done it. What does that mean? Gee, maybe it means that God's a little sharper than me. <laughs> and all God's people said, Amen, hallelujah. Isn't that the truth? And I'm glad he's sharper than you, too. Amen. Oh, not as many amens on that one, huh? I see. We've got a little double standard going on here. I got it. But as we take a look at this thing, and let's just close on this, I want to ask you the question, and that is this. 
Do you believe everything that's going on right now is happening in the appropriate time? Are you fighting? Are you struggling? Are you trying to manipulate anything that you can? I had a phone call and it was great because it illustrates this point. And we'll close on this. I, had a friend, I have a friend who manipulates everything. Everything. I mean, this guy is incredible. I mean, he's like, he plays chess with life. You know what I mean? It's every day he's trying to make moves to counteract moves that he thinks are going to take place, but he's not sure they're going to take place so that he can be ahead of it, so he can control his destiny. You probably don't do anything like that, but he does. And he tries to guess, well, if this person does this, then I'm going to do this. And if they don't do that, then I'm going to do this. And then if that happens, then this will happen. Then I'll do this, and then I'll do that, then I'll do this, then I'll do that. And here's what the end will be over here, and this is what I'm looking for, and that's what I'm shooting for. Now, I've noticed something about his life. He doesn't have a whole lot of joy in his life because he's too busy trying to figure out all the things that may happen and that don't happen. And when they don't happen, then he tries to figure out why they didn't happen and then make sure it doesn't happen again the next time. So all of his life is planning about things he has no control over. So he's manipulating another situation and finally said, well, what do you think about all this? So, well, you know what? I'm glad you asked. Here's what I think about it. Here's what I've just been studying. I think it's the greatest thing that I ever discovered in the Bible. This is some good stuff. You know what I discovered? Do you trust God or not? Yes, but. Catch that? Let me ask you a question. Do you trust God or not? Yes, but, but, but. Do you trust God about the situation you're going through right now? Yes, but. But shouldn't I be doing something? Maybe, maybe not. Do you trust God? Yes. <laughs> See, what I want you to do is I want you to be able to leave here and just say, you know what? I trust God. I trust Him. I know He's got a control over it. I know He's got a purpose in the middle of it. And I know He's got the power to bring it to pass. And I trust Him. That's it. I trust Him. I don't have to manipulate anything anymore. I can go to bed at night because I realize that everything will come to pass in its appropriate time, and that's in God's time. Man, I can relax. You know what I can do? I can do what Solomon discovered. I can enjoy life now. I can go through life realizing God's in control of everything. That's the most wonderful thing in the world, to realize I don't have to control my life anymore. See, that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because you can't control your destiny. You see what he said? He said and he's put eternity in your heart. He has made us aware of future things. He has given eternity in our heart to give us a perspective of the fact that, you know what? Even if you could go through your whole life and control everything you think you can control, there's one thing about to happen to you that you have no control over and you are going to die. So guess what? Some point in time, you're going to have to put your trust and faith in God. You have to trust Him for your eternity. Why not start to trust Him for today? See, isn't that a great conclusion? That's a wonderful thought. So the question I have for you, and we'll close on this, is, hey, if you've got your eternity situation already dealt with, you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you know you have a personal relationship with the God who created you by simply believing Him, and that's what trust is, isn't it? By believing what He said is true about who Jesus is, that He died for you, <coughs> that he rose again to conquer death, to prove that he was God and that he can do the same thing for you. If you've done that, then you've got your eternal situation already in hand. You can relax. There's a tremendous amount of freedom in knowing, hey, you know what? I've got my relationship right with the Lord. And if today's the day I'm appointed to go, I'm looking forward to it because I trust God. If you've got that solved, then I say the next step is, 
you've already trusted him for your eternity, and that's going to be a lot longer than the temporary. Why don't you trust him today in the events that are taking place right now in your life? Don't you see the, the irony of trusting him for your future when you can't trust him for today? Isn't that stupid? And that's where most of us are living. Trusting him for the eternal, and you can't trust him for the temporary. Hey, you know what? He's proven to me on a temporary basis that my trust in him for eternity is well-placed. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to see the truth of your word from this passage, to look at the events in life that we have no control over and to realize that to help us draw us closer to yourself. God, help us to believe what you say, even though we don't understand it. It's pretty obvious through your word that your word teaches you're in control of everything. There's a reason for everything that happens to us, from what we call insignificant to what we call major. In your eyes, there is no such thing. There's no big things. There's no little things to God that created the universe and owns it all. Every minute detail from the number of hairs on our head, you say you've got counted and you know. God, I love the fact that you're so intimate with each one of us. That everything we're going through, that you understand, there's a reason for it. You have control over it. You have a purpose for it. And that you have the power to bring it to pass. And the greatest thing that we have is knowing we've trusted you for our eternity. And that you got the power to see that through as well. God, we just love you for it. We thank you. We just ask right now that each one of us can get our eternity straightened out with you by trusting in your word. And that second, that we can begin to trust in you for the day-to-day -day events of our life. And we look forward to the day where we can be with you and see you face-to-face. -face and then begin to understand what now we don't. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.